Good morning, Rabbi Sai. A story is told about a Jew in the 1800s sends his daughter to a music conservatory at university <coughs> for advanced study of music. And she goes through her studies there, and she's very proud that now she's a musician. She comes back home, and there's one problem, knowledge of music she gained, but knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu she lost. And the father was a firm person who made this bad decision to send her in that environment, who's complained to Rabbi Yisrael Salanta that my daughter came back a non-believer. So Rabbi Yisrael Salanta met her, and he said, I heard you're an expert in music. So he says, I certainly am. He says, would you like to play something so that I know it's true? He says, I don't have to play anything. I have a degree. I have a document that's from this university, one of the finest music conservatories, that says I'm an expert in music. So he looks at her and says, so how come you don't believe HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his document also? And that's the Torah in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Just like you don't have to prove your musical expertise to every single person because you have your diploma, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has his diploma also, and that's in the Torah in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. And that focuses on the idea that Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, especially these parashios, are unique, and this is the case where HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes himself known to mankind. And the parsha's name itself, Va'era, is such a beautiful name. You know, Heshi Friedman maintains the tape library, among the many things he does. And he's got to come up with a title, like, how do I think of how to describe this? Here in one word, parsha's Va'era, and I appear, says the whole thing. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, once in human history, tears apart the curtain of confusion and camouflage, that man should have free will, and that normally we don't see HaKadosh Baruch Hu so directly. Once in history, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Va'era, I am now appearing to mankind through the ten makais. And this knowledge of the ten makais, this is what's supposed to sustain us throughout history to see HaKadosh Baruch Hu's diploma. Now the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu exists Many people can understand that because of intelligent design. You look at the world, you can see that there is a creator. You don't have to be Jewish for that. Matter of fact, it's interesting, there's an astrophysicist, I forgot his name, but there's a uh, building named after him in Cambridge University in England, and he says, I can't believe why my fellow scientists don't realize that there had to be some guiding force behind creation. He says that the mathematical art statistically of what the evolutionists want at China is equivalent to, let's say you take one of, uh, one of a pair of, die, of dice. You have one die, and you shake it, and you get a number. Let's say you would get a number twice in a row. That would be interesting. Like, you know, you might make money betting on with somebody. Can you get, let's say, a six twice in a row, three times in a row? What would you bet if the person says, I can take this dice, and it's not fixed. 50,000 times in a row, it'll come out of the six. said, the possibilities of that are staggering and unbelievable. He said, the single cell in the body with two, thousands of enzymes would require that amount of odds to come about like those evolutionists say. He says, in another place, the idea that the world came about by itself 
is like believing that a tornado hit a junkyard and produced the 747 Boeing with all the advanced electronics. So to understand that Zakosh Baruch in the world, that every Balsechel whose objective would say. But you'd see as Bitzrayim tells us much more. Not Yakosh Baruch who created the world, but the Akash Baruch who is still involved in the world and will change the laws of nature at his will. And what was his will? To benefit Klai Yisrael. So A, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is there, he's still involved with the affairs of the world, and that the Jewish nation is special. All of that we take out from Parshas Va'erah. That's Ba'ofen Klolei. Then we look at the Makkahs, and in each Makkah, there's Chochmah to be learned, both in the sense of Frumkite, and even in geopolitics. Let's take Dam. On the surface, Dam didn't seem to be such a great Makkah choice, because the Khatumim are able to reproduce it. But there's tremendous messages in Dam. The Nile River was the source of everything in Egypt. And because of that, Paro used to say, Li the Navi says, Paro would be Mizgoe, he would be Huali and say, I created the Nile, I'm some sort of God, and I created the Nile River. Egypt stand on the Nile River. I remember when I taught. Uh, world history in high school here, going back to the 80s when we were in the trailers. In the history book we had then, I don't know if it's still there, there was a poem from Egyptian literature from this time about when the Nile overflows, everybody is smiling. Because the whole sustenance of the land, the water and the fertile soil for planting came from the overflow of the Nile. So when HaKadosh Baruch Hu hits at the Nile, he's basically showing his mastery of the source of all of Egypt's success, regardless of whether Khatumim can make red water. But now the entire Nile, the entire basis of Egyptian economy is under attack. And there's an aspect of poetic justice, and that what did the Egyptians use the Nile for? For murder. They threw babies into the Nile. Sakosh Baruch says, you're using the Nile for murder? The Nile will turn into the blood that you shed. In the world of geopolitics, what you learn from the Nile. It says that Pyro didn't pay attention. He went back, it says he went back to his palace and he didn't pay attention to Loshas Libai. Why didn't he pay attention? Because he was a rich leader. He knew he would find water, he'd hire people to dig wells for him, and he would be able to get fresh water. Because the Fipshuto, it says that people dug around the Nile and they had water. So Pyro says, I'm a rich guy, I don't have to worry about this. This is a big lesson today when America has problems and it says, oh, let's sanction that country. Why don't sanctions work? Because historically, many scholars point out they haven't worked. Because you can sanction a country and hurt the general economy, but the leaders always have money to buy in the black market what they need. The same thing Paro. Paro is not worried. Figures, uh, no, the, the Nile turns to uh, blood. I'll make sure that I have my own water. I don't have to care about the general population. And that's a geopolitical message for leaders of the world that they should understand that sanctions are not going to work. Second, the Chavetz Chaim Rosh Hashiva looks at the Lush. It says, he returned to his palace and he did not pay attention. After saying he went to the palace. He said, what's the palace have to do with it? People build homes, but homes mold themselves, mold the people. If you live in a palace that shows opulence, you feel like you're on top of the world. You feel invincible. 
So when Paro, if he was a little bit nervous, he goes into the palace, says, nothing bad can happen. Look at this tremendous palace that I have. And that's something to keep in mind, the kind of houses that we build for ourselves, whether it helps our Yiddishkeit or not. It's interesting that after World War II, there was a reapproachment between the intellectuals of Germany and Britain. And some of the German scholars visited England, and they were shown to Blenheim Palace. Did I pronounce it right? Blenheim or Blenheim? So that was the, that was the second biggest palace in England, given to the Churchill family by one of the earlier kings of England, and it has only 108 bedrooms. Beautiful grand building. And that's where Churchill was born, Winston Churchill. So one of the Germans said so beautifully, he said, if Hitler would have known what kind of house Churchill was born on, he would have realized Churchill would never surrender. What's pshat? The building that you have is going to mold your character. A person that was born in grandeur, in a palace, he's going to have a certain stolz, he's going to have a certain chashivas, that, a certain loyalty to the country that gave him that wealth. So the Chavetz Chaim Rosh says, we build homes, and the homes mold us. Something to keep in mind in our lives. This is just the beginning, I don't want it later ready, but it's Kedayv to realize that we're starting the Parshas, if you see us with Shrayim, and the Makos now, we have an extra month of Adar to prepare for the Seder. And now's the time to think about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in a real-life real manner from which we'll grow, we'll grow in our Amunah, we'll grow in our Chachma, and if we think into things, and we look at the Mepharshim, we'll see Mamish in the flow stick of things. And this is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's diploma. Every word in that diploma is significant. We should be Zaycha to delve into it and that we should grow.